This podcast is brought to you by Church of Living Waters. Find out more information at colw.info. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. You may say, Pastor, why'd you do that today? Well, it just makes my job easier. Well, 1 Corinthians 14 tells us, what is it, 2 through 4? It says that he that speaketh in an unknown tongue doesn't speak unto man, but he speaks unto God. It says, even though his understanding is unfruitful, his spirit is edified. And what is it, Jude 120 tells us to praying in the Holy Ghost, build up our most holy faith. And so before I start preaching, amen, you're already edified and you're already faith-filled if we just pray in the Holy Ghost, amen. And so I ought to get more amens and you ought to operate in more of a comprehension of God's words. Folks, we, we, we forget sometimes those things, especially us of the spirit-filled community. We forget what God gives us, that empowerment, that really that kind of sets the tone for being able to hear. The Spirit came to lead and to guide us into all truth. Amen. So we begin to set our affections on those things. We begin to set our mind towards the things of the Spirit. Then we can receive the things of the Spirit. I could come up here and tell you testimonies. I've been preaching on Bourbon Street for 22 years, been in the ministry for 30. Uh, I could I could entertain you and tell you some great stories and things of that nature, uh, but just Google it. Amen. You'll get a lot better stories than what I could tell you today. Amen. I'd rather just kind of get into what the Word of God says. Amen. Hopefully deposit something in you besides uh, my story, and maybe you can start making some stories. Amen. They're going to impact the kingdom itself. Uh, a few things I just want to mention quickly. Uh, I had to write these things down. I'm, I'm terrible at, uh, at, um, at promoting and giving that stuff because I always want to kind of dive in. But we're going to be, be in prayer for us. Uh, the 24th of this month, we're going to be taking a team back into New York City. Years ago, we used to go in a couple of times a year and, and minister into that city of, what, 20 million people in the, in, the, in the five boroughs. And so we're going to be back in New York City preaching. If you want to go, hit me up. We've got plenty of room for you. You can meet us in New York. We're going to be there for about nine days this go-around, preaching all over the city, uh, uh, working with the church in Jamaica, Queens, and some other folks that are preaching out on the streets. So if you want to be a part of that, we'd love to have you meet us in New York, or you can drive over and go with us. Uh, also, um, something else... Um, you know, for myself, and I've said this many times, if you've been at any of our uh, times in New Orleans, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 52 years old. And if there's three years of my life that I could look back with, with any regret, there's just three. And it's when I was 15, 16, 17 years old. You may think, that's strange. Well, what was it? Did you hit rock bottom? I didn't. I've never done drugs in my life. I've never smoked marijuana one time. And that's not boasting in those things. I just came from an alcoholic family. And brothers and family members that did drugs, and so I was the youngest, and so I saw the effect of it, but I compromised who I was in Christ Jesus. I became silent due to peer pressure or whatever else, and, and, and I can't get those years back, and, but one of the things that Melanie and I have desired to do is, is to help those 15, 16, and 17-year-olds grab a hold of something. That way, you're not having to fight them back into the church when they go off to college, and so we've really desired to invest in this coming uh, summer. And we kind of did something like this back in uh, the summer of 2010. We sent a group of college age uh, around the country for uh, three months. And they preached. And you know some of these guys. Joshua Rowden, my son-in-law, was a part of that team long before he was my son-in-law. My daughter, who preached in the pigtails. And uh, Brian Eidelman, who's pastoring now. And Ryan Mosier and his wife, Emily. And I could go on all these people that got impacted by that event that happened in their life eight years ago. If you wait until college, folks, I got news for you because I preach out in the marketplace all the time. You're probably too late. You're probably too late. You know, that's why we train up children 
in the way they should go. The way that when they are old, they won't depart from it. And so for Melanie and I, and pray for us, uh, this coming summer, we're going to take a dozen high school age young people uh, kind of around the central United States. We're going to start out in New Orleans, come through Texas, go into New Mexico, up into Colorado, back into the top of Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, then back into New Orleans to give a group of about 12 young people an opportunity really to kind of get a well-rounded approach, not just to ministry, but to see the body of Christ in action. And so six young men, six young women. I've actually got a couple spots left, I think, of each. If you're a young person that really feels called to ministry and you want to spend a, a month with us on the road, come holler at me after the service. Uh, love to have you as well. One of the other things we do, and, and uh, Jairus Turner was a part of this for a year, came and spent a year with us. Uh, just embedded. We believe really in organic discipleship. You know, we can put all kinds of reading materials in your hand, but you need to see what ministry looks like in real life, what real people who serve Jesus and do. It's not something that we do. It's who we are. If you're uh, someone that's graduated from high school, maybe you're looking at a a gap year before you go to college uh, or something. If you're older, I mean, we don't ever turn anyone away. But if you say, listen, I'd like to embed into ministry for a year, come and see me as well. Uh, One last thing. Uh, We do an event, and Pastor Darren has been there on a number of occasions, called Priority One. Uh, And it's really Priority One uh, Conference on New Testament Christianity. And most of you know what Jesus said. He He came for one reason, to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his number one priority. And if we get that right, folks, we can get everything else right. We get that wrong, we get everything else wrong. But one of the things that uh, we're doing this year is it's kind of our, uh, what do you call it, Legacy 2.0. When I first went to New Orleans, I pastored up in Amarillo for 14 years. We got invited to go to New Orleans in 1996. I'd heard stories about these people that had done street ministry, uh, events like the National Street Ministries Conference, which was held in Dallas for years and years. Those things kind of predated me. When I showed up in New Orleans, most of those people that had done that work had moved on to something else. It was kind of a letdown for myself. But what it did, it created a a kind of a a breach, so to speak, in that work of the ministry. And we see it because we're in New Orleans. Lots of groups come in throughout the year through special events, even like Mardi Gras, and they come in. And so what ended up happening, this breach created this chasm. And so one side of this breach, you you have what really I try to stay totally away from, and it's this vile hatred gospel that just is name-calling and cursing, and it's just trying to be right without ever being righteous. And the Word of God tells us that the wrath of man will never work the righteousness of God. It's calling people out on, on things and using a kind of a semblance of truth, but with no intention of seeing people saved. But just as bad as that is, you got the other side, the, the smiley face, free hug, never present the gospel side on this side. But in the middles, there's this message of the cross that is just so simple that is faith towards God and repentance from dead works, that is, works just like that. You, you see, you saw the simplicity of that message, a message that you'd hear in any church. I'm preaching that right in the middle of 50,000 people on Bourbon Street, right out there. Why? Because he's still chosen the foolishness of preaching to save those which believe. And so we see this great chasm. So I got on the telephone and on the Internet, and I began to call some of these men that for some reason had really left the scene. And I said, listen, You've caused a problem. You, you, you left a chasm, and you need to bring some reparations to that. And so I called certain men that had been a, a part of some of the early works and street evangelism all the way back into the, to the 70s. And I said, I need you to come, and I need you to correct your mistake. I need you to invest in another generation. And they said yes. 
And so men like Scott Hinkle, who's worked extensively with people like uh, Tommy Barnett and the Dream Center in, in Los Angeles, uh, uh, Larry Rosenbaum, uh, SOS uh, uh, San Francisco, Bobby Chance, and Ron Surgener, and Michael Parrott, and these guys that most of you don't even know because they kind of vanished from the scene. But if you Googled them, you'd find out that these guys were doing something years ago, but for some reason they did not leave a legacy. So uh, Priority 1, October 24th through the 28th, if you want to see what happens, and I believe God's going to really do something astounding in the midst uh, of that time. Father, we just come in the name of Jesus, Lord God, and we thank you for tremendous opportunities to be in your presence, Lord God. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that we have... Lord God, the open invitation to come boldly into the throne of grace and mercy and get all the help that we need. So, Father, we come today, Lord God, I come as, as one, Lord God, that realizing that in my flesh dwells no good thing, Lord God, that apart from you, apart from your precious spirit, Lord God, I do not have the capacity, Lord God, to do anything. But, Father, I thank you, Lord God, that I do not have to go it alone. That, Father, I have a comforter. I have that paraclete. I have that, that counselor, Lord God, within me. I have the help. And so, Father, I'm asking in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that the words that I speak today, Lord God, Father, would resonate upon men's hearts, Lord God. They would be like iron striking against an anvil, Lord God. They would pierce, Lord God, into a place, Lord God, that they would bring forth much fruit, Lord God. I pray that hearts and eyes would be open to hear, Lord God, your voice today through the, the, the preaching of this word, Lord God. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that you would do something. Lord God, even as Pastor Darren said, Lord God, we live in an exciting time, Lord God. This is the, the best time, Lord God, of all times to exist. And Lord God, we want to be mindful of that. Father, even as your word says that the, that the, the angels who sinned, they received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape, Lord God, if we're neglectful of such a great of salvation, Lord God? We don't want to neglect what you've given us, Lord God. We don't want to be neglectful, Lord God, of the opportunities that you've extended to us. And we thank you for it. And all the people of God said, amen, amen, and amen. My brother had the glasses. I'm in between the 150s and the 175s. And so I'm in between a headache and nausea. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you're constantly doing this. And so you, 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 you're, you're leaning. And so it just depends on the height of the pulpit, whether I need them. So if I'm going like this, amen, I just happen to be a great height, brother. I might be able to see what I have here today. <laughs> You know, you look inside the Word of God, and, and folks, really, I encourage you, man, get in the Word, because if you get in the Word, the Word will get into you. And I want to encourage you some things today. We, we do something uh, throughout the year called the 90-Day Challenge. And what we do is we take 90 days just to read through the Scripture. And so if you do it every 90 days, you can actually read the Bible cover to cover four times a year. But you know what it does, folks? What it does, it shrinks everything. And what you find out is it's not just 31,101 verses in a King James Bible and 1,179 chapters and 66 books. It's just one distinctive thought that comes from the mind of God. So I encourage you to get in that word and read it with frequency and read it from cover to cover all the way through it. And when people say, well, there's, there's all of these uh, uh, um, contradictions. I'm saying, I read it all the time, and I'm not finding those things. You just got to get the whole thought. And so when you get into the Word, there's certain things, even when you read it over and over again, that always just tend to jump out at me. And, you know, I think about some, some scriptures that, that, that always hook me, and I always find myself going back and re-highlighting those things. And I do so much of that. What I do is I, I buy these Bibles. They're cheap Bibles, and, and, and I kind of put my stuff on them because I preach on the streets with them as well. And I read them through, and after I finish, I close them up. I, I 
write some things in them that God spoke to me, and I give them to one of the guys that are in discipleship or one of the girls. And I move on to a new one because I don't want to just get hung up on an old revelation. I need it fresh every single time. But it's funny, every time I do that, there's something that always comes back and I go to. And there's a few verses, and I want to share these kind of as I'm giving you the intro to my intro today. And be patient with me, please. Uh, I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said, I fear the day will come when men cannot endure a two-hour sermon. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's going to be that long today, but fortunately, I talk real fast it's been from Southern California, raised in Texas, living all across the South. And so I got this weird convoluted thing going on where I talk fast, but I got enough Southern in me that you know where I'm from. But Ezekiel chapter 22 and 30 says this. He said, I looked for someone who might rebuild the walls of, the right, of righteousness that, that, that guards the land. And he said, I, I love how that says it. He said, the walls of righteousness that guard the land. Folks, really, righteousness is something that guards your heart. It guards your mind. It guards the land. And he said, I searched for someone that would be willing to stand in the gap, in the wall. And he said, so I wouldn't have to destroy the land. But he said something that I read it every time, and I'm, I'm saying it now, and it, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. He said, I sought for someone that would, that would preach that, that would stand in the gap, that would, that, that would guard the land. And he said, I sought, and he said, I found no one. I found no one. Now, folks, think about this for a second. He said, I, I, I look. He said, I, I, I bakkosh. It doesn't mean that he just peeked around, but it meant literally he sought out. He pursued like a beggar. Now, folks, you can go into the city of New Orleans, and I've preached, uh, being from Southern California, Melly and I have gone many times into L.A. and preached in Skid Row, and you see in areas that are filled with the homeless, and there's a boldness and there's a brashness that comes. And they're there and you're thinking, man, they're there today. Wouldn't you be humiliated? And they're standing out there with their signs. Anything helps. And they just keep coming back and they'll just approach anyone. Folks, that's the connotation that's given through this word. He said, I sought out. I looked for someone. I, I searched. I, I was not just inquiring like somebody would look for a job on monster.com. But it was he, he became like a beggar. He was pleading for someone that would dare stand in the gap. Then you think about what he says. Here's another one of those verses that kind of tie into Ezekiel 22. And it's 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. And it kind of describes this process. And it says, The eyes of the Lord, they go to and, throw, uh, to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. In other words, he's looking, he's, he's, he's going out, he's perusing, he's inventorying the, the, the climate and the, and the environment, looking for those that he can show himself strong on. Why? Because there's consequences if he doesn't find someone. But he said, but you've responded foolishly in this. And he said, so from now on, you will be at war. I've sought somebody out. I've looked for somebody to stand in the gap. I've, I've gone over the whole world just looking for somebody to see it like I see it so they'll do it like I did it. But he said, you've acted foolishly. You've responded indifferently. You've become silent. He said, so there's going to be a consequence to this. And it takes me to that third one that always stands out. It's 1 Samuel chapter 17. And it starts out in, maybe in your King James Bible. It says, now... Folks, you believe we're living in a now time? Are you a now saint living in a now time? And so he says now, now is obviously a conjunction that links together maybe two thoughts or it links together two actions or two subject matters. It's, it's a linking word now. 
And, but before he gave us the now of 1 Samuel 17, 1, there was something happening that needed to be linked together to something that was about to go down. Because I could tell you, 1 Samuel 17, and talk to you, and you, maybe you're familiar with that address, and that's the whole David and Goliath story and all those things. But if I just backed you up a chapter, would you realize what was being linked together? Read your Bible, as the brother said. But 1 Samuel 16, linking the now, it says, Saul sent a message to Jesse. Obviously, Jesse was the, was the father of, of, of the would-be king David, the one that, 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 that Samuel went into his house to find another king, went into the house of Jesse. And it says, so Saul sent a message to Jesse saying, let David, I pray thee, stand in before me. It says, he's found favor in my sight, and it came to pass when the tormenting spirit uh, from God was upon Saul that David took the harp, and he played with his hand, so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. And so we see that it's linked with this word now. Saul was tormented. He was looking for somebody to come and to make up the space, to stand in the gap that when he was looking in Ezekiel, he couldn't find it. When Second Chronicles he was, he couldn't find it. But Saul found something that was delivering him from the tormenting power that was trying to dissuade him. Then we have this now. So after someone stood in the gap, after someone made up the hedge, after someone closed the distance, now we're in the now of 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 1. It says, now as a result of those things, having witnessed that event, those things having already occurred, I'm linking something together. He said, now the Philistines gathered together their armies for the battle, and they were gathered together at Shokoth, which uh, belonged to Judah. Or it was a, they, they, they were gathering to fight the Israelites at a promised place. It belonged to, to Judah. And it says they, they pitched or they set up camp at, camp at Shokoth and uh, Azekah in Ephrath Damim. And I'm not going to preach too much on that, but Ephrath Damim literally means the edge of the blood. And so they came and they camped out at a place of promise having seen the effect of somebody being willing to stand in the gap. And it says in verse 3, it says the Philistines were on one side, obviously, and the armies of Israel were on the other. And it says they were clothed in battle array. They, they were all dressed up, but it didn't seem like anybody had a place to go. Then it says in verse 4, and it says there went out a champion. Here's that familiar part of that, 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 that chapter. And it says he went out from the camp of the Philistines, and he was named Goliath, and he was over nine feet tall. But, folks, when we think of a champion, we're thinking about a wrestling champion or a boxing champion or an MMA champion or maybe a champion in, in some other sport, Olympic sport. But literally that word champion doesn't mean somebody that's wearing the belt and strutting around the ring. It literally means the space between two armies, the gap. And so because the Philistines demonically, it wasn't spiritually, they recognize that something powerful can happen when somebody's just willing to step in, to be willing to close the gap. Folks, listen, it's amazing to me in preaching in a marketplace like the world that the world sometimes seems more sensitive to the spirit than the church does to the spirit. They're certainly more responsive to it. I tell you what, you can, you can rally the, the world. They have these, these women's movements that promote the, the, the murder of the unborn, and hundreds of thousands of women will rally. They'll leave behind responsibilities. They'll leave behind families, the comforts, and they'll pour into a place, just like Sister Camille got back into Washington, D.C., and they'll rally, give us our rights. 
Man, I tell you what, it's tough sometimes to get Christian women to show up in droves at the, to the Bible study 20 minutes from their house. The world seems to get it. Folks, there's a place like New Orleans. We got the, 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 the Superdome. I tell you what, the, what is this, uh, the, the, the WrestleMania showed up and 70,000 people in all of their, their, their costumes and everything flooded the, the New Orleans Superdome. Folks, you try to get some Christian people together to go preach the gospel, amen? And man, it's like pulling teeth. Nah, you know what? I got something else to do. I'm, I'm catching up on reruns of Grey's Anatomy on Netflix or whatever it, it might be that's dissuading them from just being obedient. But it seems to me that somehow the world is better at being sensitive to the Holy Ghost than the church has been to the Holy Ghost. Something is wrong with that, and something has got to be done in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to close that gap, to make up that space. Amen. Otherwise... Folks, we're going to find ourselves in an endless battle, never seeing victory. But the word says this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And the word of God says he is simply looking for somebody that he can show himself strong on behalf of whose hearts are perfect towards him. So the Philistines learned a lesson in the now that Israel failed to pick up on five verses earlier. Folks, the first step towards victory is always going to be closing the distance. Folks, some of you have just been struggling. Really, you have. I'll just be honest with you. I know you have. You've been struggling maybe not with uh, an addiction to pornography or cheating on your spouse or some type of illicit drug, but you've been struggling in walking in the genuine victory and, and displaying the type of character and characteristics that God has for you. Folks, listen, I, I didn't come from the right family. I, unfortunately, I didn't have a, the tremendous legacy, amen, to be built upon like Pastor Darren did. I mean, you talk about a tremendous legacy. Many of you are the product of just his family and the things that God did. My, my mother and father were alcoholics. You know, I came from, 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 from brokenness. And my, my wife's mother died from, when she was six years old from alcoholism. She's the product of an illicit affair between her, her dad and another woman. So, you know, we didn't come, we didn't have the right pedigree. But we had the right Jesus. Do you hear me? We had the right Jesus. And so we had to close the gap with the only one that could close the gap. And it was the blood that was shed for us 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. So you've got to come to that place where you're closing the gaps. Folks, listen, I'm 52 years old. I may, have, I may be ugly and be bald-headed, but, but you know what? Man, I'm still what I am. You know what I'm saying? But I get in many conversations on the street, and Pastor Brandon's been out there with me innumerable times, and obviously my wife has as well, and, and I get people coming up to me on, on a regular basis telling me that, man, you say another word, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Folks, let's break it down. Do I look kilt? <laughs> I don't look kilt. Listen, I ain't got no bullet holes in me, and I... <laughs> Folks, listen, I, I, I know where I came from, and usually people that are going to be kilting you... Amen. I ain't going to tell you about it. Amen. And so you know what I do when somebody comes up and they begin to, 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 to tell me what they're going to do? The first thing I do is I close the distance. I do. Look at videos. Everything we do, we do nothing in a corner. Everything we do, we're live. If I've got somebody coming up to make a threat, what I do is I close the distance between me and them. 
I want to convey a message to them that I'm not some 12-year-old that's responding to some bubblegum chewing bully on some playground somewhere. I'm a man of God filled with the Holy Ghost and power. And if you lift a hand against a child of God, he's subject to suck the life right out of you. And I've told them that. And they're saying, well, you can't say that. You can't do that. I said, there's only one way to find out for sure, isn't there? And so I close the distance between myself and the threat. I get in the gap, amen, before they can get in the gap. And so it does a couple of things. Number one, it demonstrates spiritually an authority that, listen, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And amen, I was talking to my brother coming into the church this morning. I said, you know, it's interesting. I said, we're in the middle of preaching to 50,000 people. If they were so inclined, they could totally overrun us. But for the sake of the ten, amen, I always go back to Abraham pleading for the cause of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's like, yes, for the sake of the ten. So I'm always making sure i got at least ten people with me out there, amen. So at least I'm going to be biblically correct and stand on that promise. But, folks, they could overrun us except for one thing. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And if one can send a 1,000 to flight, two can send 10,000 to flight. So I'm operating in a spiritual authority. The Word of God says that every place that the sole of my foot treads on is mine to take. And I've walked those streets. I've prayed over. I've, 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 I've shed many tears. I mean, I've committed a life as a mandate of one that heard the man from Macedonia saying, come over and help me to preach the gospel. Amen. I operate in an authority, amen, that comes from obedience over time. And so when they say shut up, I say, come and shut me up. You want me to shut up? Yeah. Well, just repent and believe the gospel, and I'll go home. And I'll say 2,000 years ago, they started to shut him up, amen. But instead of being shut up, he was lifted up, amen. And he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men into me. They pierced his hands and they pierced his feet and they put a crown of thorns upon his head, amen. And he didn't shut up. Three days later, he got up, amen. And now he sits at the right hand of power. So spiritually, I close the distance. But physically, amen, I do too. You ever see anybody try to strike you, amen, when you're just all up in their face? They're going to hit behind you. Amen. I'm not going to let somebody wind up. Man, I'm not some martyr. Amen. I will duck. Amen. Oh, man, I went out and suffered for Jesus. No, you're just too slow to see it coming. Amen. Amen. I can preach with, with, with my teeth in my mouth better than I can without them in my mouth. But, folks, the body of Christ has got to begin to close distance. Folks, when, you, when you've preached for a while and you've preached in various places in this nation, in all kinds of, of churches, I, I like coming to a, a spirit-filled church where you can just tell people to talk in the Holy Ghost and they don't get weirded out because I preach in Baptist churches and all kinds of things like that. And so you, you, you go to different places and you see different things that are, that are happening in, in the church, but you begin to see and begin to take an inventory of things that, that, that are occurring and, and conditions that, 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 that are present. And it doesn't matter what our denominational affiliation is. Whether it's people that are in small little home churches or in people that, that, that gather, gather together in, in big, uh, big cathedrals. But folks, something I'm seeing over and over again is this. I'm about to get into the message. Somebody say Amen. Interest in the things of God must never be mistaken for intimacy within a relationship with God. I want to say that again. Interest 
in the things of God must never be mistaken for intimacy within a relationship with God. Folks, I see a great interest from many people concerning the things of God. I do. I see a great interest. But, folks, intimacy is something that's designed to produce fruit in our lives. I look at that seventh chapter of the Gospel of Matthew when he begins to give this, this discourse. Most people know the first verse, judge not lest you be judged, but they don't look into what he's saying after that. And he tells us there's a wide gate that leads to destruction. And he said, many there are that enter there at, but there's a narrow way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Then he says, you shall know a tree by its fruit, by its carpos fruit, by its reproductive fruit. And so when I ask somebody, listen, are, do, you got the, do you got any fruit in your life? Yeah, I got the love, the joy, the peace. Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't ask you if you had fruit on loan from the Holy Ghost. I asked you if you had fruit. Do you have reproductive fruit in your life? Because not everyone, he says in that same chapter, that, that, that calls upon or mentions the name of Jesus shall be saved, but those that do the will of my Father in, his, in heaven. And he says, my will is that you bear much, much fruit. Amen. Then he goes on to say many people are going to come in that day and talk about uh, we prophesied. Man, I tell you what, one of the most dangerous, one of the greatest hindrance to, to my job is, is, is somebody that, that's a church planner who operates in, in that apostolic gifting and, 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 and loves the loss, and so I, I go and become a fisher of men to make other people fisher of men. Amen. It's the prophetic movement. Why? Because we'll talk about, man, Jesus could come back any time, and they'll have these conferences, and they'll, they'll fill the stage with all these, 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 these timelines and all these things that are happening, and they'll be flashing the, the news reports and newsreel, and they'll say, he could come back at any time. And everybody's, yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, what time's the buffet closed at Shoney's? We've got to get out of here in a hurry. Folks, a prophetic word that does not cause an urgency to go and preach that word to somebody else Folks, I, I, I got to question the, the, the motivation and the, and the appetite for such a thing. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because if somebody came in here and said, listen, guys, we just found out that that school across the street is, is going gonna, is gonna to explode in 30 minutes. Folks, I would have to think that everybody in here would say, well, if there's kids in there, we need to get them out. There'd be an urgency. But he said, many are going to come to me and say, I prophesied. I, I cast out devils in your name. I did many wonderful works. But he said, he's going to tell them, depart from me. I never knew you. The same word used in Matthew 125 when it says that Joseph did not know Mary. He had a contractual agreement. He had an interest in Mary, but he had not yet consummated the relationship to the bearing of fruit. Folks, listen, I believe that many Christians in many churches around this nation today and beyond in the, the, in the, and also the type of Christianity that we've unfortunately exported to other nations as well, it's like walking in a contractual agreement like you're putting earnest money down on a property. Man, I really want to buy that house. Well, sign this contract. Give us $500. We'll hold it for 30 days to see if you can get financing. Well, folks, they don't hand you the keys, and you don't start moving in with an earnest money agreement. You can drive people by. You can peek in the windows, but you're not going to nail the home sweet home up until the deal closes. Folks, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is so willing to drive by the things of God. They're willing to, to peek in the window of somebody else's testimony. They're so willing to walk across the grass and, and look over the locked fence, amen, in somebody else's yard and talk about how great it's going to be when they take a dip in the pool or their children are on the, the swing set. But they're never sealing and closing the deal. They have an interest but not knowing, not coming to the place of intimacy. So there's a glaring distance from the place of genuine communion with Christ. 
Look at the Word of God in the book of Exodus, and here's my text today. Exodus chapter 19. You look at the Exodus from Egyptian bondage, which is obviously a type of salvation experience, going through the Red Sea, a type of baptism. And see, Moses now is called up to Mount Sinai, and he describes a portion of the scene that's happening is what I'm talking about today in Exodus chapter 9, verse 9. And it says, the Lord said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, he said, I will come to you in a thick cloud. He said, so Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. And it says, then they will always trust you. They're going to hear our conversation. They're going to be involved in it. In verses 10 through 12, it says, the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Folks, listen, Jesus is coming back and the word of God says, when the son of man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Why? Because without that type of faith, it's impossible to please him. That those that come to him have got to believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who casually seek after him, who diligently seek after him. There's got to be a preparedness for the coming of the Lord. We can't be like the five foolish virgins who never trimmed their their lamps with oil. He said, so I want you to go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Somebody say, prepare me, Jesus, for your arrival. And he says, here's how you're going to do it. He said, consecrate them. And it says, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. He said, mark off a boundary. And it says, around all the mountain. He said, warn the people. He said, be careful. Do not go up to the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. And so what all happened up to this point? Well, we saw miracles were happening in Egypt. He delivered them. We saw uh, the, the, the power of God uh, uh, allow them to be set free from over 400 years of bondage. The provision that they had, the manna came down, their shoes never wore out. All these amazing things happened. So they had an enormous interest of the things of God. Why? Because they got to experience those things. Yet even with that desire, there was still this distance that was demonstrated by this boundary that we see here in Exodus chapter 19. Folks, listen, I don't want my interest, amen, to keep me at bay, to keep me from looking at the things of God from afar. Folks, I believe that my generation made a grave mistake to the, previous, to the generation that followed after me. We didn't engage them in the process, amen. We just told them about the stories that somebody else did. Oh, we parade and preen around and said, man, you ain't going to believe what Smith Wigglesworth to do. We're not going to believe what old John G. Lake used to do. You're not going to believe what old Catherine Kuhlman used to do. They don't, they don't know John G. Lake or Catherine Kuhlman or Smith Wiggles. They don't know that. But they know you. And if God's not a respecter of persons... Why are you always talking about what somebody else did? Why are you always talking about what somebody did on the other side of Ephraim's demean, the other edge of the, uh, the blood? I want to know what you did when you stood in the gap. I want to know what you did when you closed the distance in obedience. When he came looking for you, what was it that you were doing? What was the intimacy that was made manifest in your life? What was the contact that you had with the horns of the altar? Or did you just step out to the end of the, of the row and say, God, listen, I hope that maybe I can catch something in the distance. Moses was on the mountain of God for 40 days and nights. The people were able to see the smoke. They heard the rumblings, but their distance kept them from the details of the conversation. Do you hear me? They saw the smoke. They heard the rumblings. But because of the distance, they missed out on the details. Folks, it's the same thing when people get into the Word or or fail to get in the Word. 
Amen. You see it in real time on things like social networking. People are posting these scriptures. And I'm saying, dude, if you really knew what that meant, you may not post that. Well, how you doing today? Went into a church one time and asked a, an older gentleman, brother, how you doing today? He said, blessed and highly favored. I said, when's the baby due? He looked at me and he's like, what do you mean? I said, well, the only time I ever read that in the Bible about being blessed and highly favored, he's talking about Mary. I just thought maybe something miraculous happened in your life. <laughs> Folks, promise card Christianity has been the downfall. Why? Because we have an interest, amen, but we don't have the intimacy. And so we're laying claims to somebody else's promises to the degree that we're never walking in our own. I don't want somebody's secondhand revelation or secondhand Jesus, amen. I want to close the distance, amen. Between that place, amen, to come into that place, be the champion, be the person that's hearing from God. That way I'm not chasing 15 words of confirmation and affirmation from somebody else. Why? Because I'm intimate with God to the point that I know what he's saying to me. I think this is where believers find themselves today. They had an encounter at some point with God. They've known his deliverance. They've watched as he intervene on their behalf. But they've wrongly assumed that these things were equivalent to what Moses was experiencing apart from that disinterested multitude. Folks, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm just telling you, this is on us. we got to get it. I think Sister Camille nailed it when she came up here and was talking about God. You know what? you got to reveal those things to us. Search us, oh God. Know our hearts. Try us. Know our thoughts. See if there be any way inside of us. God, find something inside of me. What is it, Lord God? That's inside of me, not in somebody else down the street or somebody else I can point. God, what is it inside of my heart that's leaving the gap? So the people saw the thunder and the lightning and they heard the trumpet and they saw the mountain and the smoke. But it says in verse 20, chapter 20, verse 18, it says, but they stayed at the distance. Folks, they were close enough to notice, but they weren't close enough to know. They were close enough to notice, but they weren't close enough to know. Folks, I hear people tell me all the time, listen, man, I'm glad you're called to do that. Me too. How did I get so much favor? I go to churches where a baby cries in the back row and the preachers go, oh, get that baby out of here. They're grieving the spirit. Or somebody gets up to use the restroom. Oh, you know, you're grieving the spirit. Come preach where I preach. The last I read where sin abounds, grace abounds even greater. Amen. If the Holy Spirit is so jumpy, amen, that, that, that a crying baby or somebody going to the restaurant is going to get him off his game, man, we better look for another Holy Spirit. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we'll die. You go speak to God for us because I don't want to speak to him myself. I don't want to put the risk out there. Folks, listen, I would rather die in pursuit of his presence than live in passivity. You hear me? I would rather die pursuing after the presence of God than die being passive. Amen? Now you see the reason that God gave these instructions to create that boundary. He said, I'm giving you instructions because the people's hearts weren't genuinely where they needed to be. He said, you go, you listen. They said, you hear from God, and just come and relay the message back to us. Folks, that way of thinking is 
just as prevalent in the church, if not more today than it was back then. And so people say, preacher, you pray. You study the word, Pastor Darren. You hear from God. You demonstrate commitment. You do all those things that are necessary. And we'll be back on Sunday, and we're going to hear how things went. Folks, why the distance? Well, it's because we've created a generation of secondhand saints. You know, Pastor Darren said it right. You know, listen, man, I want, I want my children, I want my sons and grandchildren to preach the gospel. Because I don't hear parents even sitting around saying, listen, man, you know what? Whatever my children do, man, I want them to be the world shakers and the history makers for the kingdom. Man, I want to be them the ones that are standing up in the middle of a, a wicked and adulterous generation preaching the word, amen, that cuts men to the quick. Rather, you know what? I'm really excited about my child. You know, they, they're, they're, they're going to be an attorney or they're going to be a doctor. Nothing wrong with those things. Man, I'm just glad that I'm more blessed than that. Nothing wrong with doctors and lawyers. Man, they can help you in the, in, the, in, the, in the short term. But, man, can you imagine being entrusted with a message that a million years from now people are still going to be talking about? Folks, that's our heritage as the children of God. That's his priority, one, to come and seek and to save that which was lost. Folks, that ought to be the mandate and the mission of the church at large. Man, do your doctrine, but do it, amen, preaching the gospel to the lost. Do your lawyering, amen, but use it as a vehicle to reach the lost. Do your, 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 your working at the hospital or your working at the library or school teaching, amen, but always use that as a platform, amen, to close the distance to bring people to Christ Jesus. Do your construction work, but just see it, amen. It's just merely a tool that gives you an opportunity to reach people for the kingdom. So why the distance? Glad you asked. I'm going to give you the answer. Psalm 24, 3 through 4. I don't want to leave you hanging. Here's the answer today. He said, who can climb the mountain of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? It says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to idolatry and does not swear deceitfully. Folks, there's qualifications that have got to be met in order to have genuine communion with him. Do you hear me? It's just not this laissez-faire attitude that we stumble into his presence. Hey, God, here I am. John, the one that was called the beloved that, that gave us the gospel of John and first, second, and third epistle of John and the revelation. When he came before him, amen, he wasn't cutting up and saying, hey, bro, good to see you. Jesus is my homeboy. said that he fell like a dead man. But we've trivialized our relationship with God to the point that we think we're fist bumping with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Who can ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? Those that have clean hands and a pure heart, that don't lift up their soul to idolatry and does not swear deceitfully. Here's your qualification. Number one, clean hands. The apostle Paul said, I declare today that I've been faithful. So if anyone goes to hell, my hands are clean. This is Acts chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. He said, the reason my hands are clean, because I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. My hands are clean 
because I'm not backing down from the truth. My hands are clean because I've never refused to give you the full counsel of God is what Paul the Apostle has done. But folks, listen, we've got this politically correct mechanism that tries to to kick up in our old nature, amen, that wants to keep that distance. Rather than closing the distance to the truth of God's word and saying, listen, I'm going to bring a light into your heart and life. Folks, listen, I get people all the time, and you can imagine it, that come unto me and say, listen, I'm with you. Come to the street, under the Red Cross. Listen, I, I mean, I appreciate you. And I've only, I, I can finish their sentences in most cases because I've only heard it a million times. It's like the proverbial broken record. I, I hear what you're saying, but have you ever thought about doing it a little bit different? Have you ever thought about, and I'll stop them many times. I said, young man, listen, young woman, do you know how many years I've been out here? I've been out here for decades preaching the gospel in this environment. And I can guarantee there's not a single thing that you're going to tell me to do that I haven't tried. Have you ever thought about doing music out here? I, well, yeah. I had carts and I had a full band out there, a full trap set, drums, PAs, and, and, and generators doing music. And I said, we sure got a lot of people jumping around and dancing and mocking our music. And, but nobody got saved. As soon as the music was off, they were gone. Man, I've given away more food that can fill up a safe way. Amen. Filled up their belly, and they were like the 5,000. It says, are you going to leave also? Where would we go? You have the words of life. I've tried it all. Then I come to that place in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says that he has chosen the foolishness of simply preaching the gospel to save those which believed. Because, folks, what happens in our good ideas, that way that seemeth right to a man of Proverbs 14 and 12, but the end leads to destruction. Somewhere between that place and the Romans 12, 1, that we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, the way that seems right, the way that really is holy and acceptable, we have all these good ideas devoid of the Word of God. Yeah, the way you close the gap is to simply be obedient. Why? Because we're saved by grace through faith. Faith comes by hearing God's Word not seeing how sweet I can be. My self-righteousness, no matter how I package it up, is never going to be adequate to save someone. It's that word that's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of a man's heart that changes people, that brings them to repentance from dead works and faith towards God. But we've built up an arrogance within the church and said, if we were just nice enough, we were just sweet enough, we were just good enough. If we were just benevolent enough. Folks, I'm not saying not be sweet, not be nice, not be good. But the second that we substitute those things for the word of God and for the work of the Holy Spirit, folks, our hands are filthy with good ideas devoid of the righteousness of God. You'll never have clean hands if you shrink back from telling the truth, even when it hurts and even when it costs you, we see the same thing happen in Ezekiel chapters 3 and 33. He told, you, he told us that, we, he, that he's making them a watchman. But if you don't warn the wicked from the wickedness of their way and they die in their sin, he said, their, their blood will be upon your hand. But if you warn them and they don't turn, he said, you're going to be free from their blood. The same thing Paul the apostle spoke. And so the ultimate act of selfishness is seeing people headed towards destruction and having the opportunity to warn them, yet for whatever reason, refusing to do so. Folks, the filthy hands of believers, amen, are what keeps them from closing the distance. He said, 
Who can ascend? Who can close the gap? It's those with clean hands and a pure heart. Jeremiah the prophet said this in chapter 17, verse 9 of the book under his name. It says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But folks, the pure heart or that ubar or the heart that he desires is a heart that's devoid of malice, devoid of offense, devoid of treachery, devoid of unforgiveness, devoid of deception. And so you remember Jesus said in the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the what? The pure in heart or those that are free from any contaminating influences, he said, for they shall, what? They shall see God, Matthew 5 and 8. So they shall be devoid of stains, but not devoid of standards. Folks, if I are are walking in a pure heart, that means I'm devoid of stain. That doesn't mean that I'm devoid of of a standard. Last Friday night, we were standing underneath the cross, and a young man came up, and he was talking to somebody else, and I couldn't understand uh, uh, what they were saying, so I closed the distance so I could understand the conversation. And I said, I, I missed most of this. I said, what's kind of what's your, your point you're getting to? And he said, well, I'm Jewish. Do you have a problem with that? And I said, a problem in, in what sense? And he said, listen, I don't, I don't mind what you guys are doing. He said, but you know what? You, when you, you, you probably believe that your way is the right way, right? I said, yeah, otherwise I wouldn't be wasting my time doing it. He said, that's where I have a problem. He said, I don't mind you doing it. And I cut him off. I said, you don't mind me doing it. You just don't want me to really believe what I do. And I said, are you a Jew? And he said, yeah, absolutely, I'm a Jew. I said, why are you a Jew? Well, I was born into a Jewish family. My mom and dad, I I said, whoa, whoa, I didn't ask you why your mom and dad were Jewish. I said, why are you Jewish? This was a Friday night. I said, because obviously you're not keeping the Sabbath tonight. I said, do I need to go Exodus 20 on you? And we'll find out just how Jewish you really are. He said, well, that's my problem. I said, no, what the problem is, is you want my standard for following Christianity to be equally low as your standard of following Judaism. Well, he's called me a few colorful metaphors that I've been called many times and Told me, I don't know if I believe in God anyway. I said, well, that much is, is evident within your heart. <laughs> Folks, being devoid of stains is not being devoid of standard. We have to be standard bearers. When our hearts are free from those things that we contaminate or wrongly influence our hearts, thoughts, actions, feelings, then we will see God or we'll have access to a vantage point that can only be realized through living the crucified life that's described in Galatians 2 and 20. So when he says that, Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see. It literally means you'll have a wide-eyed amazement. Folks, remember when your babies were little, your grandchildren, and they walked in on that Christmas day and they saw that tree lit up and their eyes were wide open? Folks, that's the picture that's painted right there, the wide-eyed amazement, seeing something, or you take them somewhere and they see something that's just overwhelming and it's the greatest thing ever. Folks, when we close the gap in Christ, it doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't matter the battle that's happening on either side of us. There is an amazement at the presence of God. There is something. I tell people after all of these many years of, of going out into a, a, a place that, that, that smells and sounds of a place like Bourbon Street, I'm excited. The worst part about coming here, and I love coming here with Pastor Darren and visiting friends, is that I can't be there. 
Why? Because I still get to see God move, and I'm thinking, man, perhaps this is the time. Maybe this is the week that another Kelsey's coming up the street. Maybe this is another week that somebody else, that I need to be in the gap, that I need to be the one that has closed the distance, that maybe perhaps I can strategically be walking in a place of obedience, God. I'm willing to sift through the 50,000 disinterested, amen, to come to that one, amen, that's desiring to be intimate with you to see their heart and life changed. Because if heaven rejoices over one, or they have a wide-eyed amazement, shouldn't I? Shouldn't there be something inside of me that says, listen, God, man, when I close the gap, I can put myself at the perspective of heaven. Colossians 3, 5 says, so put to death, excuse me, back up. Others stood in the distance and God spoke. To Moses, though, face-to-face as a man speaks to his friend. The third thing is don't walk in idolatry. So in addition to having a willingness to tell the truth, to keep oneself from defiling or disqualifying yourself through thoughts or your actions, folks, we've got to begin to cast down those idols that are in our life. And that's the first commandment of significance. We see it in Exodus 23 through 4 because it's going to set the tone for everything else in our life. And here's that verse, Colossians 3, 5. He said, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. Don't worship the things of this world. I could go on, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Any man that loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, expose them. I could go on all those things that we're probably guilty of. The friend of the world, James 4, 4, is the enemy of God. So he says anything, and he means anything that would take the place reserved only for God in our lives as idolatry which would include careers, jobs, recreation, other people, our children, offenses, opinions, anything that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God is idolatry. Now, we don't have to go carve a a totem pole and put it in our our yard or, 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 or have some archaic statue somewhere in our house to walk in idolatry. And we say, man, I wish that preacher would hurry and shut up because, man, I got somewhere to go. That might, your wristwatch today might be your idolatry. But, folks, our nation has become the nation of idolatry. The American dream has become the American nightmare for the things of God because we sought a God of comfort rather than a God of consecration. Do you hear me? We want the God of a wonderful plan for our life rather than the God of many of the afflictions are of the righteous. We want to avoid the fire rather than to think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. So a God that supports our compromise, changes with our culture, sees his own word as more of a book of suggestion will never be found atop the mountain, folks but he's going to be found in the deception that darkens the heart of people. The next thing he said, don't swear deceitfully. Folks, most of that stuff you can see coming. You know what I'm saying? You can see it coming. It's kind of back to the Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. 
And he tells us, he said, in the last days that many will depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. We'll be seduced. It'll be something that looks attractive that's going to draw you away. So it's not the things that we know are wrong that get us in trouble. It's the things that seem to be right. You notice that? Because you see the, you see the bad stuff coming. Oh, no. Man, I know what God delivered me from. I see that coming. I'm staying away from that. Oh, I'm not hit, hitting that button to go into that web. I, I, I got delivered. You see that stuff. But what about that stuff that saunters up, that begins to, to, to play up on those things? Folks, a number of years ago, I got a telephone call early in the morning. This before we had the Raven Training Center. We're praying and believing God. I got, a, I got a telephone call from a Hollywood producer. And the Hollywood producer said, hey, listen, we've been doing some research, and we want to do a reality show on your ministry. I'm like, really? He's like, man, he said, listen, we've, we've gone through YouTube videos. We've seen these things. And, man, you have got a message that needs to get out there. Man, wouldn't you like to see, man, that message go out around the world? Man, you, you've got something there. You could, and, and plus, can you imagine the resources that this is going to generate? You never can have enough resources to do. I know you guys are doing a ton of great works. Can you imagine having a, 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 a nearly unlimited resources to do the things that you need to do? Folks, he's talking my language. Reach more people, have more resources to reach more people. Now, if he said, listen, can you imagine you're going to get your name on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and you're going to get all that? That wouldn't appeal to me. Big deal. I've, I've preached on Hollywood Boulevard. It's all filthy and dirty. I don't want my name out there. But when he began to say, man, you've got a message that people need to hear and don't you want to help more people? Man, that seducing spirit. Praise God, I got a praying wife. As soon as I got off and told her, she said, honey, I got news for you. That ain't the Lord. That's the devil. I'm like, well, honey, you or Jesus have never steered me wrong before. But they hounded me and hounded me for months and months and months. And I told him, sir, listen, I, I, I hear you. I said, but, man, I, I spend so much time with the Lord, he's never mentioned that to me. And he said, but I tell you what, six weeks of your time, you build a team. You can, we'll, we'll put you locations around the country. You just go do your thing, and we'll film it, and, 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 and we'll make the show out of what you do. And I said, sir, listen, I'm not for sale for any price. He said, how about $250,000 for six weeks of your time? Nope, not that. Not a bowl of soup I'm not going to sell my birthright out for. But you see the seducing spirit that's associated with that? Folks, I had brothers in the Lord tell me, man, you miss God. God was just opening up a door. I said, no, he's already set before me an open door. And it ain't that one into the gutter. Amen. But don't swear deceitfully. This literally means having empty words. It's the Hebrew word shav. Or making promises that you don't keep. The implication is here is not being that principled person or that person that cannot be rightly defined by maintaining consistently high standards or commitments. Let me give you a question here. How many times have you heard somebody say, God told me to do this, Pastor, you've heard this, that a short time later they're claiming that God changed his mind and he told, told them to do something else. You ever hear that? Anybody ever heard that besides me and Pastor Darren, a couple others? How many of you ever said that? I mean, if you're humble enough to admit that you said that God said something he didn't. Amen. See, here's what I'm talking about, deceitfulness. I know in a crowd like this, somebody said that. <laughs> Proverbs 29.9 says, they're telling lies and they're using my name to do it. 
Folks, we live in a day and age where that's celebrated. We do. We live in the day and age where that's celebrated, and people come and they'll say, Brother, do you got a word for me? Don't we? Yeah, how many you want? <laughs> Brother, I got 66 clips of firepower that I can come and give you at least 31,101. How many do you want? Do you hear me? We celebrate that. Brother, have you gone to the mountain? I need you to give me a word because I'm not going to close the distance. And so we, don't, we swear deceitfully. We want God to say something. So the, the will of God more closely uh, is described by the, the whims of man. And, and, and the temporal uh, is greater consideration than the eternal. And so that's led is to the body has become unsubmissive to the genuine will of God because they're unresponsive to the word of God. Folks, you'll never be submitted to the will of God if you're not responsive to the word of God. I'm just telling you. You never will be. And you'll never know how to respond to the word of God until you get in to the word of God. And so until integrity is restored within the hearts and lives of people, they'll never ascend to the place of God because this distance that the children of Israel found themselves practicing became necessary to suffice their discord. Most people will never close the distance because they love living in discord. Because there's an empowerment. Proverbs 6.17 says this. It says, the Lord hates those that sow discord among the brethren. Folks, you ever think about your failure to close the distance creates discord? Your failure to close the distance. Not Pastor Darren's or, 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 or Troy Bond's failure to close the distance. But your failure... To close the distance creates discord because we are the body fitly joined together, each one supplying the need of the other. Folks, I could have 50 feet of hose, and if I just took one inch out of the middle, what happens? I stop the flow. One inch. What if you're that one? What if you're that one that's responsible for God not being able to move the way he wants to move in the greater Houston area? What if you're that one? What if you're that one that's caused the body of Christ to become disjointed? A man came down the street one night. He's about my age, and I began to talk to him, and he really just broke. He's like, man, he said, listen, I used to really serve God and witness in my community and these things. I used to do the things. I said, brother, I need you back. I said, I knew my end was heavy, but I didn't realize it was because you make me carry it all. I said, I knew somebody wasn't carrying their end of it because, man, my end's getting a little heavy. I need you to get back in the fight and start carrying your end to make it a lot easier on the rest of us. Interest without intimacy leads to insurrection. Folks, we saw it on the mountain. They didn't have intimacy, so there's an insurrection. They waited, and he didn't come. They said, the, this Moses that delivered us, we don't even know where he went. So because they didn't have intimacy, because they let somebody else hear, they said, make us a God that we can follow. So Aaron took their earrings and their stuff from them, and he made them a golden calf. Now, folks, it may not be your earrings, but maybe it's your self-interest. 
that creates the basis for insurrection. You got to close the gap. I'm going to close with this, James chapter 4, verses 8. He says, draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He said, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he'll lift you up. Folks, I'm just going to tell you straight up, it is time for every single one of us to begin to close that distance. And the only way we're going to close it is to be forthright with God. God, what is it? What is it, God? What is it that's, that's, that's made me be just that little link, that little piece? God, what is it? Is it a fear? Is it laziness, Lord God? Is it an indifference? Maybe it's a past offense. Or I don't want to fail again. Folks, listen, I've failed a million times. The Word says a righteous man falls seven times, but the Lord's going to pick him up again. Big deal. Now, my falling isn't some great immorality or something, but maybe it's just being stupid or being lazy or being indifferent or thinking I had it figured out. But you just get up and say, God, you know what? I'm believing for the blood of Jesus to empower me and teach me something. Folks, it's time for us to close the distance. It's time for us to be those ones that the Spirit of God doesn't come through Church of Living Waters or Rosenberg or Houston, Texas or New Orleans and saying, I sought for one to stand in the gap and I couldn't find anybody. Can we stand today? Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray you were encouraged and would love to hear from you. For more information on Church of Living Waters, check out colw.info. 